The NBA season is heating up and there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Whether you're looking to hammer a Pascal Siakam player prop or ride the money line with LeBron James and the Lakers, our partners at Sign Up Expert want to make sure you're ready to sweat your bets. With one of the best, Sign Up Experts is hooking up our listeners with one of the newest sports books available in Canada, Botano. Botano is home to some of the best odds when it comes to betting on the NHL and offers unique markets, including virtual soccer and basketball. All you have to do to get started is scan that QR code on your screen or click the link in the description to register and place that first bet. Now, if you thought Damian Lillard being traded to the Bucks has been the best surprise of the season so far, wait until you try Botano. Don't walk. Run to check out Botano today, scan that QR code, or hit the link in the description to get started and start sweating your bets with the best. Always remember to bet responsibly and within your means. Viewers must be 19 plus to sign up for Botano. This is Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Harini, and today, joined by Jesse Blake. Jesse, what's happening, man? I'm good. We got an exciting day of racing, despite the one guy taking the lead and holding it for the entire race. At least the rest of the field was exciting. It was. It was a good race. I actually really enjoyed it. A lot of strategy involved, a lot of tire management, a lot of thinking. Um, Aston Martin, though, for me, Jesse, I mean, this was definitely the story of the of uh, of Sunday for sure. I mean, Alonso coming home P3 and Stroll coming home P5. Uh what did you think, I guess, of the last 10 laps of this one? Yeah, that's that's where you got to start, right? That's the oh. biggest story of the day. It's the most exciting part of the race is Alonzo's just mastery with being able to be on the right part of the track so that Perez can't really block him. And then the way he's controlling his battery and just recharging it when he needs to it and, and not deploying the energy when he doesn't need it. It was such an expert it was, it was a mastery in driving and oh, it was yeah. so cool to see it was a throwback to like his heyday and he, you can see that he still got it and oh, yeah. he had the what third fastest car uh the definitely not in the top three fastest in terms of just like it was it was it was max and then it was lando and then perez probably has a faster car than him but he finishes third it's incredible alonzo captures his uh I believe it would be his eighth podium of the season. I'm going to share my screen here, and uh, let me know if you can see that. I got it. All right, cool. All right, so for those of you listening, my apologies. I'll try and talk you through, uh, but if you want to watch, you can head on over to our YouTube channel, Nailing the Apex, and you can watch it there, but um, essentially, it's the last closing stages of the race. We're looking at some images uh, that F1 posted on their Twitter channel. And uh, this is an onboard shot of Sergio Perez about, uh, I want to say, 10 to 12 laps from the end. And Jesse made a good point there when you were talking about um, lines. Mm -hmm. So if we just take a quick look at all of this, you can see that Sergio is like committed to uh, the apex. So he's he's doing more of a a V into these corners. Or if you see Alonzo's more on uh, the outside. So he's ewing the corner. So with this is is experience, right? I mean, there's a couple things going on there. What one is that Fernando's got clean air. So he doesn't have anyone in front of him. So it's not going to take a lot of energy out of the tire. Now if there was someone in front of him for a few laps 
the degradation on the tire would have been much higher. But since he's ewing the corner, he's actually not asking that much from the tire. So he's leaving a little bit of life in it. Now he did this for the last, yeah, 10 to maybe 14 to 15 laps to the end when he had Sergio behind him. And what this actually does is it keeps the tire alive. Um, but Sergio behind his tires are now being chewed up. Sergio obviously being the faster, uh, driver by doing this sort of V shaped, uh, thing that he's, he's doing with the car. Now, you know, with that, he's got a lot more grip. Um, he can get out of the corner better, but another thing with it is the fact that, uh, Alonzo is actually saving up a lot of the battery. So he can use that. Uh, to defend. And I think, you know, and that's the most important thing. That's what was able to kind of keep Sergio behind him uh, for so long is that he was able to use the battery, like Jesse had said, to to just keep um, Sergio at bay. Now, Perez finally gets past him. And then this is, uh, this is actually on the way to Alonso trying to take third place uh, back. Now, with this particular uh, move, so Perez actually commits to turn one a lot sooner than when Alonso does. And so by doing that, Sergio actually, he gets a lot of understeer. He misses a bit of the apex. And so what that does for Alonso is that allows him to basically uh, straight line almost turns one and two in Brazil. And... If you can get the car in the right place, you can get back to power sooner than your competitor because your competitor, Sergio Perez at this moment, is trying to defend against Alonso. Now, since Fernando was doing those U-shaped um, turns into the corner earlier, what that does is that actually that allows Fernando to uh, save up that tire. So when it comes down to the last lap of of the race that allows Fernando to finally, you know, use the remaining life in the tire to get past him. So he gets that good run out of turn one, good run out of uh, turn two. He also has a DRS and he also has um, a lot of juice left in the battery. And that is what allows him to get past Sergio Perez on their way down uh, to turn one, two, three, I guess this would be four. So Alonso gets past him and then we've got the, we've got the finish. Oh, now yeah. this is how the F1 posted this on their Twitter. Like this is how close, uh, this was. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, see here. This is the photo finish. So this is on F1's Twitter page. Incredible. Look how close that is, Jesse. Oh yeah. Like that's, that's so spectacular. <laughs> it's awesome, crazy right? to see. That is 0, 0.0. So that's five one hundredths of a second. Alonso beats Sergio Perez uh, to third place. Pretty I have a remarkable. question for you, for you Tim, just yeah. in terms of strategy and, and for the driver behind. Is, is Would Sergio Perez have been better off waiting until the last lap to try and make a move? Because he made it on the second last lap, and mm -hmm. then Alonso had the opportunity to pass him back. If he had just stayed behind in DRS range until that final lap and then took advantage of like a slipstream and the DRS on the final lap to try and make the move, would that not have been a better strategy for him? 
Yeah, probably would have been. But I think what Sergio's biggest mistake was is that on that final lap, when they were doing that, and I showed that image of Sergio was over to the left, is that that run down to, to turn one. Now, when I went back and I watched the um, the onboard footage from Sergio's car, uh, and it was good because the camera was pointing uh, backwards so you could actually see Fernando and what he was kind of doing behind him. Um, but essentially by Sergio leaving the racing racing line too soon. And, you know, it looked like he was trying to protect the inside line against Fernando, but Alonso wasn't going there. Like he wasn't, he wasn't heading down um, to make a pass there because he just wasn't close enough. Right. And so I think like that was Sergio's biggest mistake was just committing to turn one sooner than what he had to, because once he did that, he automatically opened himself up to turns two, three, and then the exits. So all the exits from those corners, he just basically opened the door for Fernando being like, well, you're going to have more, more speed than me. And you're going to be able to get back the power sooner than I am. And, and lo and behold, Fernando was smart enough to keep the tire alive earlier in the stint. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so important when someone, when we're watching, you know, formula one and Everyone's like, well, why doesn't this driver just go and attack them? Like, keep attacking, keep attacking. Well, you can't. You have to You have to manage the tire. You have to manage the degradation of the tire because what you could potentially end up doing is coming back and getting them later. Like, that's yeah. kind of the idea. You know, it's not It's not like the racing back when I was racing where, you you know, you had a, a tire and you just friggin' leaned on it for the whole... You're it flat out the whole race. Yeah, it's qualifying <laughs> the entire race, man. Like, and that, let me tell you, that was something. But this is just yeah. a little bit different. It's more management. You have to really think. Uh, for Fernando, you know, he's he went through those stages, right, Jesse? I mean, like, he he had the, the era where it was just lean on the tire and quality laps the whole way, and now he's into this new era of F1 where he's been for quite a while, and just a smart... This is such a... Yeah, yeah you said it best. It's a masterclass. Yeah. No, you're so right about the the driving strategy because F1 these days is all technical, right? They run all these reports constantly and the computers are churning out uh, what to do and how to manage the tires based yeah. on the information that they've gained all weekend long mm -hmm. and throughout the season and all the testing they do. And it's real technical now. And to be able to match that with expert driving, it's, it's that's what the pinnacle of the sport and what to see. And he knew based on the engineers telling him, hey, you have this much life in the tire and that he's going to need it at the end of the stint. He was able to manage it all to perfection. And like that, you know, the, the team didn't even need to tell him like what, mm -hmm. like what to do. Like they weren't even like the team wasn't even thinking that. Like right. that's how good this guy is, man. Like that's how, <laughs> like, come on. Like even Sergio wasn't figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Like you could see or else he would have started like emulating a bit what he was doing. Instead, like Alonzo's, you know, doing these U shapes, he's crossing in front of him, he's creating turbulent air, you know, he's degging Sergio's tires for him. Like it's just it yeah. it's it was brilliant, man. Like this is like this was uh you know, I don't I don't like the crap on drivers, but when they do something that's absolutely outstanding, like we gotta talk about it, man. That this is a stroke of genius. Like mm -hmm. I I have uh I've I've watched a lot of great racing, but this is Hey, this is up there. And he was like totally chill during the press conference too. Like he, like, cause someone asked him like, you know, how, you know, where does this sort of 
podium rank for you and how excited are you? Or he's like, are you excited more than normal? And he's like, eh. he's like, this is normal. <laughs> yeah, I saw his, I saw his comments about like he's not. He said he's not twenty years old anymore. He he needs press to lay off of him. It was it was very <laughs> funny, and the crowd too. The crowd recognized like how cool it was to have Alonzo up on that podium. They gave him such a great standing ovation. Yeah. Like I, I heard some of the commentators mention like some of the the wins he's had haven't been that raucous, you know. And the, the Brazilian crowd was great uh, on Sunday just to give him that that really good send off, you know. Oh, absolutely. Because I think they also knew like what they witnessed, right? Yeah. Like they, I think they, you know, they knew what they they were seeing. I mean, that's the thing with Brazil, the Brazilian fans, like they're very, like they know their stuff. They know their Formula One. They know their racing. Very passionate. Um, and I love how they were chanting his name at the end <laughs> as well. I also yeah. like, good, good to see. Like I saw, um, Sergio come in and he actually gave Fernando a hug, like mm -hmm. following, and they both congratulated each other. And it's good to see that level of respect between uh, between those two drivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you say in that moment? You know, if you're Perez, it's just like that's that's something that you don't see from at, at at any moment in racing. Just as you described it, you know, he he outthought everybody from in in the paddock, you know, on on the wall to all the other drivers. Like, what do you say? But like, congratulations and here's a hug. You know, you won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, like, we don't normally see that, right? Like, we don't normally see these drivers interact with each other. Like, very rarely do we ever get to see it. I mean, usually they only really see each other when they're on the driver's parade uh, bus during uh, during Sunday. Or, you know, we see them together during press conferences. But outside of that, it's not like they go and, you know, search for each other and hang out and all that kind of stuff. Like, they just, it's just, they don't do it. And so... It was just kind of nice to to see like two competitors, uh, you know, give each other their dues and 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 uh, yeah, and respect as well at the same time. Yeah. Um, Were you shocked by the the car itself? As seeing Aston Martin's car perform that well after so yeah. many weeks and races where it's just been behind. Yeah, especially for for Lance. I mean, you know, he's. I think for for Lance and for Fernando. It's been uh, very difficult, uh, you know, back half of the season. And I think for USA, like the USGP, Mexico Grand Prix, like those were, they don't, it doesn't get much lower than that, man. <laughs> when you're, you know, and you're bringing, you bring an upgrade um, as big as they brought to the USGP. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're basically tearing both cars apart, starting from Park for May. And, you know, Lance had a great race there, finished, I think it was like P7, uh, but he started from pit lane and then yeah. I believe Fernando was retired in that race. Um, I think it's definitely, you know, this successful weekend has definitely lifted a weight off their shoulders for, for sure. Um, doing the experiments that they did at the U.S. Grand Prix and at the Mexico Grand Prix and, you know, obviously both cars starting from pit lane in, in the USGP, but then again in Mexico, Lance having to start from pit lane because they wanted to run more experiments on his car. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's going to benefit them in the long run. Like when we get to next year, I think that once they start comparing all these different bits and pieces of what this car does, what it does here, what it does in the altitude, what it does in this temperature, uh, what it does with this tire, it's a lot of data that they've been able to gather like terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of, of data that they've been able to, able to gather from 
you know, these past few weekends that is going to assist them for next season. And I think like, I think that's very crucial, Jesse. They just, I just think it is. And I think with Brazil, uh, it, it kind of seems like it's more of like a Zandvoort track, you know, like mm. it's the corners aren't as long. Um, obviously that's what the, the Red Bull really likes. It likes like good. I mean, it likes everything, but for the, <laughs> I mean, for the most part, like it really likes long, long, fast corners and, you know, power tracks and that kind of stuff. It, it really excels at that too. Um, and I think though, for Aston Martin, this was this was a track that actually started to really suit what they were doing, as well. Um, but it, it's good. It's good for the team, man. Like it's just, I cover the team a lot, right? So yeah. like when you know they get success, you know I can see like just how uh, big of a deal it is for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're coming off the weekend last weekend. You know, we chatted a little, and it was like a good weekend for for Stroll. You know, it was like he got he got back into a place where he should be in terms of uh, his finish in the race, and then now Alonso gets this weekend. So you're carrying a lot of good momentum going into the final two races yep. for Aston Martin. And that's good to see. Yeah, and Lance also the faster driver this weekend too. I mean, we have to say it like it's he was he was catching Sergio and Fernando towards the end of this race. Uh, there had been a few more. If there had been probably about eight laps left, he probably would have gotten both of them. So, like, he was, he managed his race really well uh, on Sunday. Uh, He drove a great race. It was, he really did. Um, Very impressive from from him this weekend. Uh, And I think, like, for just for his confidence, you know, that is, that's huge. And moving forward, you know, we're going to go to Vegas. We have no idea what's going to happen there. Uh, so I, I think for for Lance to try and finish the rest of this season, um, just with some good points. I mean, he doesn't need to go out and you know win races and you know podium stuff, but just chip away at the confidence, get the confidence back, so you end the season on a on a bit of a high, so you can take that with you into the off season, which is going to then motivate you to do more, maybe more driving, maybe um, different types of sim training. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, you're training in different ways with different cars and on different tracks and different setups and things of that nature. So I think, you know, moving forward, that will just keep a driver motivated when they end on a high. Like yeah, because we got into some dark times in the summer with Lance Stroll and all the off off track stuff that was like rumored, and then him being upset in the paddock and all all the all that stuff. And so it's like this is where he needs to be, you know, with a with a car that's performing the way he needs to. And yeah, going into the the winter here, like that's some that's a great takeaway for Lance, and I hope like it continues in Vegas and and uh, at the final race of the season too. You know who didn't have a, a good weekend, Jesse? <laughs> oh, don't tell me. You know who it was. <laughs> Mercedes, I know. <laughs> it was bad, man. That was yeah. bad. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, as Total Wolf said, uh, following it, it's the worst weekend in 13 years. Wow. That's what he said. Yeah. And it, it started so so well in the sprint race. The first lap of the sprint, I'm like, hammer time, first lap. You know, yeah, he I got the, the text. <laughs> he makes the pass on Perez. And from that moment on, I was like, ah, no, they don't have it this weekend. And it wasn't there. And just seeing them go back on in on Sunday, just the car dropping back and everybody passing them. It's so unlike Mercedes for that to happen. 
you know it, it was like i was watching a different car and a different team it was yeah. it was something really out of the organ ordinary for that team it uh it, you know hamilton finishing p8 and then russell dnfing R russell dnfing because of uh cooling issues they ran into a problem with um a lot of temperature issues with the engine just engine spikes and if they had a blown that engine it, that's not a good that wouldn't have been good for them uh heading into vegas um but I think for the team as a whole, just going the wrong way for uh, setup wise. Um, when you look at these sprint uh, weekends, it's something that has really affected them this season when it comes to the W14. And if you go back to the USGP, I mean, obviously they were disqualified, but that was a sprint weekend. But then you look in Mexico, they were really strong in Sunday's race but they were able to get so much practice in lead up time that with this particular car, uh, trying to really find the optimal ride height with it. The thing with this car is, is that it's very ride height sensitive. So how much the, the floor of the car, um, meets the pavement or gets close to the pavement, et cetera. So ride height sensitive more than normal. They ran the car, you know, way too high for this weekend. Uh, but, I think there was also something wrong with it, like mechanically, and they they couldn't really identify, you know, what it what it actually was, and they were having a lot of issues with that. So, at the end of the day, Jesse, I think they're you know Total Wolf had, had mentioned it, but uh, I think they're going to be really happy to see this W fourteen gone at the end of twenty twenty three here. Yeah, at the end of it, like it's about looking ahead to next year, and it's a throwaway weekend because you can't really take much knowledge away from this other than like we did the wrong thing you know there's not much to gain in terms of moving forward about the right thing and in terms of like we mentioned tire management and all that with alonzo and that they tried to like not necessarily cheat their way into being competitive but try and have some sort of strategy where they had russell like lifting and coasting all race and same with lewis just trying to manage the tire so they can just kind of be competitive and that still didn't work you know and just the the care they had to take with this car just to try and push it towards the end and it never got going and it never you saw from like the sprint onwards and even in qualifying where they didn't even have like the greatest one lap time you know it just never got it and yeah as a team i don't know if you take anything away other than like throw the, throw this weekend out go go to vegas and try and redo it you know such a you know, stark comparison to this time last year when George Russell is, you know, winning the Brazil Grand Prix in a car that was just as difficult as this one is. And then you, you know, you show up to Brazil this time around and they were totally lost. Like it's, it shows you, I think, just how uh, difficult and sensitive the W14 actually is. And I think it, and I think it also shows that like this is what this team has been having to deal with all season. Obviously, this is what they made, yeah. but it shows you that like the car is so sensitive and it has like a sweet spot in it that if this team doesn't get the time to find it or to work with it, then they they really struggle. I mean, Russell almost got shot out the back before being retired. Like he was <laughs> almost like out of the points, man.
Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was gonna fall like way down if they kept him out there. And like you said, you couldn't risk the engine blowing up on track for them to keep running him out there. And I I wonder if the team is gonna look at sprint weekends differently. You know, I don't know if we're gonna discuss like maybe there'll be changes next year to sprint format and how the weekends kind of structured. But Mercedes in particular really hurts them not having all three of those practices and Sunday or Saturday being so jam packed with those two races. And yeah, all season long they've struggled with it. So they need to figure out how they go into their strategies next week, next year uh, with the W15 and see if they get a car that's just more consistent, you know, because the Red Bull, the Red Bull car, they know every time they're on the track, they know exactly what it's going to do, how it's going to react weekend in, weekend out. And Mercedes, yeah, it's so sensitive. And having that squeeze time format throughout the weekend on these sprint weekends, it hurts them like so greatly that, yeah, it's a waste of a weekend. I will be very interested to see how they bounce back in these next two races because we don't have sprint we don't have sprint weekends. But again, you know we're going to go to Vegas here, and it's expected to be really cold. Like it's not like this isn't going to be a race where the conditions are normal. We're going to be dealing with a lot different. I mean, Pirelli's bringing the the softest compound they have to offer to this race. Wow. In Vegas, and I, I don't know how that's going to affect them. I don't know that's how, and they don't know either. Like a lot of teams, don't really know how these conditions in Vegas are going to really affect the car. But for Mercedes, I mean, I think there was just so much hype coming into this weekend about you know Lewis only twenty points down from Sergio, and you know really wanting to get that. Uh, P2 in the championship. And, and, you know, Lewis had said at the Mex- Mexico Grand Prix that, you know, he wasn't really too worried about getting P2 in the championship. And, and but that's, but coming out of summer break, he was. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's yep. what he said. He, and he said it. Yep. But at the end of the day, I think this whole team really wanted him to get second place in the, in the driver standings. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that they just kind of wanted to throw that wrench into Red Bull, seeing like, yeah, we still got you. Yeah, no, it it clearly meant something to him. And I I don't like I think there's no denying that it would mean something, you know, P2 with a car that's clearly inferior to the guy he's chasing. That would have been really impressive. And it would have been even closer if he wasn't DNF'd, you know, at the at the last race, unfortunately, he was or disqualified. Sorry, at the last race, you know, so. Uh, for for Mercedes, it was something to chase. And at the end of this weekend, you sit here on on Sunday afternoon. You're like, ah, it's lost. You know, you came into this weekend with such high expectations. I thought that first lap on the sprint, you know, that race for the second in the championship is is alive and well. It's going to be a great battle with the last two races. And now it's kind of gone. So it's a deflating feeling. You know, if you're a Mercedes fan and for the team, because, yeah, it would have been cool to have Lewis hunt down Perez for a second. There. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, we had talked about it on the on the show before. I mean, like Mercedes is dealing with this Frankenstein car, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like slapping things on it and hoping it works or like hopefully this were a sawing out piece of the car. Like they're literally sozzling parts of the car off in some races like yeah. I just think that for them to not only uh, solidify P2 in the constructors, but also getting P2 in the drivers, I think for them, that would have been huge motivation like going into next year. And that's what they need, right? I mean, this is a team that's been winning for so many years, Jesse, and like to see how much they've struggled over the last 
two seasons is remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think for them, they can't even, you know, fathom it. And I think for Toto himself, like he really takes this like hard, man. Like he, like he really does. Like uh, when Sky Sports was trying to interview him at, at the end of the race, like he just didn't even look like he wanted to be in. Like it just, it was just like, you know, don't interview me. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk right now. Like, and that's not usually like him, right? Like usually he's, he's pretty good that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the regulations are really tough. You know, like they've clearly since these new regulations have come in, they haven't been able to get the car right to where they wanted to, you know, and the, the last two iterations of, of the Mercedes haven't been what they've desired. And that's got to be extremely frustrating for a guy who only knows how to win, you know, and now we're in year another year of of, hey, we're still behind and we want to be in the championship uh, conversation. We're not there. And it doesn't look like going into next season, it'll be. Uh, like they'll be right up there trying to challenge. It'll take another half a season for yeah, this probably. team to get back there. And when you have that outlook, when you look to the future and you're like, ah, it's still, we're not there and we're still <laughs> like so far behind, it, it can't help but be deflating for a guy like Toto. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel Absolutely. for him. Absolutely. Um, Ferrari, mm-hmm. uh, Carlos Sainz coming home P6, Charles Leclerc uh, DNFing. So for Leclerc, uh, he did say on the team radio that he had lost hydraulics, uh, crashed in turn six in the formation lap. Uh, but the rear axle of the car actually uh, locked up and snapped the car around on him. Um, Leclerc did say, uh, you know, the hydraulics is what's ripped the steering wheel out of his hands, but it was an engine related issue that locked the rear wheels. And essentially that's what created the crash on a formation lap. Uh, nonetheless, but uh, it was unbelievable to watch, you know, <laughs> just yeah, going around and man. then all of a sudden somebody's in the wall. <laughs> I, I was quite surprised by that, but I, I, I like this little, I don't want to call it a rivalry, but between mm. Leclerc and Sainz, you know, those two in the driver's championship, you know, I, I I really like this. Two races left. Science has got a 22 point lead over Charles Leclerc in the driver standings. Uh, Science finished ahead of Leclerc in 2021, but then Leclerc finished ahead of him in 2022. And now in 2023, it looks like Jesse Carlos Science is probably going to finish ahead of Charles Leclerc. Yeah, and it's something we've talked about like throughout the season a little bit here, a little bit there, but Ferrari has to look at it as we don't have uh, one driver and a two driver. We got a 1A and a 1B, and they're interchangeable right now because both guys are performing at the best of their abilities, and I think they're doing great jobs with the car all season long, and I don't think one is substantially better than the other. I think Sainz has performed just as well as Leclerc, as you can tell by the points, and Leclerc's right there with Sainz, and I don't think Ferrari can say, like, we favor one driver or the other, and it's going to be a difficult conversation going forward if one of them thinks that they're ahead of the other one, and I wonder how they're going to fight it out for the next years to come. Leaving uh, Mexico, I had the opportunity to talk to uh, Jacques Claire, and he's, for those of you listening, I mean, He's very high up at Ferrari, and even even he seemed surprised at just how good Carlos Sainz has been this season. 
And for me, like, I was actually kind of like, oh, like, I, I mean, I was like, I, I've always been up on, on Carlos. Like, I know what this guy can do. And so even like, you know, kind of getting that feeling from him, I was like, man, I'm like, you got, you got like two really great drivers, dude. Like, yeah. like I don't know how you're going to make that call where it's like, okay, who's 1A and and who's 1B or who's number one and who's number two? I mean, because you have to you have to wonder if that decision is going to come down the pipeline. And if it does, like what happens next season? You've got a really competitive car and like science is like on it. And so is Charles Leclerc, who, you know, for Leclerc, they've spent a lot of money in his career to to get him there. So do you let them figure it out themselves on the track? Like, or do you have to, as a team, make a decision and like at least lean towards one direction of where you're going to put the more resources and money? Yeah, that's the that's the question, right? I mean, if yeah. w- one of the things that with with uh, with science is that I think he does a lot of off tracks. I know I'm not saying Charles Leclerc doesn't, but mm-hmm. for for Carlos Science, he does a lot of off track work, like when you know combing through data on what else can he do to make this car a little more his, and how can he get it into a spot where he can extract the performance from Mexico was a, was not the greatest race for him, but he still managed to eke out some decent points. Um, and then again today, like he couldn't keep up a stroll, but he still managed to not cook the tire to try and keep up with Lance. Like he was just like, yeah, Lance, I just can't keep up with him. I'm not going to roast the tire. I still got to hold on to P six here and get these points. Like he's still, He's smart that way. Like when it comes to uh, thinking through the race where you've got Leclerc, and I've said it on here before, like over one lap, he's probably Leclerc is one of the fastest, if not the fastest over one lap in Formula One right now. But when it comes to the race, you know, Carlos just really thinks it through, Jesse. Like he really thinks it through. Like, yeah, the races aren't one over one lap, right? Like it's they're not one in qualifying; they're one over the length of an entire race. And Carlos Sainz, in my eyes, has been, I think, the more consistent driver. You kind of know what you expect out of out of Sainz as opposed to Leclerc. But Leclerc's also faced a lot of car troubles, and I think mm-hmm. more car troubles than Sainz has faced over the length yep. of his time at Ferrari. So yep. it's it's this it's such a tight battle in terms of like who you want to favor going forward. So yep. I don't no, that's gonna be fascinating to watch. Uh, and Ferrari, three hundred and sixty-two points. They are only twenty points behind Mercedes for P two, Ferrari, and P three. Then you've got McLaren. Uh, they're not going to catch Ferrari. McLaren P P four, uh, two hundred and eighty-two points. Aston Martin, two hundred and sixty-one points in fifth. And then Alpine with a hundred and eight. Alpine isn't catching Aston Martin, um, but Ast- Alpine did have actually a decent Sunday with. Pierre Gasly coming home seventh, Esteban Ocon coming home P10. Uh, some solid points there from from both drivers, uh, which is good to see. But I mean, Jesse still with with Alpine, just a you know, yeah. I think I for for myself, I I expected a little bit more from them this season, considering what they did last year. And I just they're just not we're just not getting it, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, I know Gasly in one of the post-race interviews, he said this was one of the best weekends we've had all season long just by just on how the car performed and how they finished on Sunday. But yeah, when you saw like how Alpha Tori has looked all weekend long, yeah. you know, I expected that out of Alpine at points of this season, you know, yeah. where it's like, oh, like uh Ocon's up in up in P3 or something crazy, you know, but we never really got that all season long. But I think that they've made a lot of strides in that they know they have the drivers for the future and that the, if the car is there that they'll be able to perform with. Yeah. It. Uh Alpha Tower you you did mention we talked about Hamilton who is uh who came home P8, but Yuki Tsunoda uh, mm-hmm. finished ninth, man. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a drive from yeah. uh from Yuki. I mean Really good stuff. Like he did make a mistake uh, in the midst of the race, but I thought that um, his first stint and also the second stint and just how long he was able to kind of you know uh, keep the tire alive and stretch the stints. That's a really good drive from from him. Smart drive, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even in the sprint, like the sprint, I believe it was uh, sixth. He finished. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. Let me I look don't it have up. It in front of me, but pretty sure it uh, was. Yeah, like even yep, that sixth. Six, there you go. Yep. Yuki, he he had a car that performed well all weekend long, and he took advantage of it. And I think that's something we wouldn't have seen from the Yuki of the past, where mm-hmm. he isn't more of a confident driver. And this weekend, when he had the tools with him, he he had a great performance. And mm-hmm. I think that's it's such a positive thing to take away. And I think we've been waiting a long time for this team to come up and do something like this because I think like they have a lot of the Red Bull resources and, and AlphaTauri obviously has a lot of money behind it as well. And we got to, we got to see more of this and it's positive. It's a positive direction for Yuki going into next season. And Daniel too, like the um, earlier in the weekend was a little bit of a struggle, but today after the crash, you know, competing in last place with, uh, <laughs> with Piastri there, it was a good drive from, from very last <laughs> being a lap down. <laughs> He was, uh, I mean, he was swearing up a storm at the end of the sprint race. I went over and uh, watched his onboard uh, audio following the sprint, and he was, like, cursing the DRS line, like, just Mm. absolutely cursing it. I think he was expecting, like, he wanted it, I think he wanted it to be moved a little bit sooner rather than later, and so... I think he felt that he probably could have got a little bit more out of that one, but uh, Logan Sargent coming home P11. Good drive from from Logan in this one. Uh, just shy of scoring a point, uh, but things starting to starting to click uh, for Logan. The pace he's not that far off at some points of Alex Albon, who yep. you know this season has been in another league. Um, Nico Hulkenberg P12, Daniel Ricciardo P13. Oscar Piastri, P14. He is the last of the runners, uh, finishing two laps down for, you know, McLaren. I think for this weekend, you know, great that Lando got, you know, got some solid results, but for Oscar is definitely a bit of a learning weekend for him. Yeah. And the, on on Sunday like that's through no fault of his own for him and Daniel, you know. They're just casualties yeah. of a of a bad crash there on on lap number 1 coming out of the start. And I thought like they they both had fast cars and I think the McLaren if it doesn't take damage, he can kind of make his way through the field, you know, and and have a better result. It's just unfortunate I think for for Piastri, but yeah, it's a learning weekend for yeah. him. Uh I think as a team like for McLaren, they've taken, you know, massive steps forward 
Lando Norris has been, I th- believe, the second highest scoring driver uh, in F1 since they brought the upgrade, the big upgrade in Austria, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and if I am, I'm sure I'll get corrected in the compliments section. And uh, <laughs> McLaren, the second highest scoring uh, team since Austria as well. I think for Norris in this race, he took a shot at battling Verstappen, Jesse. I mean, he did off the start. Um, I think for him, that gave him confidence in the team confidence that they're 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 you know they could do something special for next season. But you know, Norris, I think he knew that he you know he could take one shot at Max off the start for a few laps. But if he had have tried it too many times, then you know that would have been his race finished. He would have compromised his entire race, and I think he would have ended up being swallowed up by Alonso and Sergio because. I think putting that much effort into trying to take a win away from Max Verstappen just really kills the tire all, yeah. altogether, and it just wouldn't have wouldn't have worked out for him. And I think he made the smart decision, just kind of trying it once and then pulling the plug on it. Like it's mm-hmm. the only thing he could have done. Yeah, it's it's the, you're going up against the faster car yeah. in the Red Bull, and you we, they all know how it's going to perform, so it didn't make sense trying to battle there. Yeah. I would have liked to see it last longer than like the second corner you know yeah <laughs> for for uh lando in first place there but what can you do because it was inevitable either way you know if he held on for a couple laps to start there unless he got like some lucky break with a safety car in the middle where the pit stop just kind of worked to his advantage but even that didn't happen so so there was uh some chat about the sprint weekends uh throughout you know saturday um there had some news coming out about um the format for next year and how are things going to get changed around for it? Um, I, you know, like first off, you know, Jesse, just want to get your thoughts on, on the sprint weekends as a whole. Like, you know, we've talked about it before in the past, but I, I think they do need something done here. A little bit of a refresh of some kind, because it just, I mean, for me, it's just not working. Yeah, I think we've we've had enough kicks at the can here to know that well, this the way it's it's set out right now isn't how it should be. You know yeah. the the sprint shootout it's it's fun, but the and then having the race and having it the Saturday just as a full day it's it's a cool little idea, but it doesn't really work for the teams. And you're asking a lot from the fans. You yeah. know having having qualifying on the Friday and then the the full day on the Saturday and then again on the Sunday and the, yeah the teams don't seem to like it the fans seem to be a lot conf- really confused by how everything's playing out so something needs to change and I don't know do you have any ideas on what you want to see uh, going well, forward yeah there is I actually I kind of I, I got I got an email uh, from uh, a person by the name of uh, Todd Delglesh. I'm not too sure where Todd is from, but uh, he had submitted a question to me through my website. And uh, he had said, uh, he is basically a suggestion of what he would want to see done. But he said, my suggestion for the F1 sprint format would be Friday, you have free practice one and free practice two. Saturday morning, is your standard race qualifying. Then you take the car into park for May after that. And then he says, however, um, the race qualifying, so for, I believe he means for the the sprint qualifying, would also be used 
Oh, sorry, for the sprint. Oh, here he goes. Okay, so for the race qualifying, so for the qualifying they do on Saturday morning, that would also be used for the sprint format by utilizing reverse grid. So whoever qualifies first to 20th, you reverse that for the sprint race. So for for, for Saturday, you're going to do your qualifying for Sunday's race, but you're going to take those results and you're just going to flip them around for the sprint that would happen uh, later. And he said this would avoid the problem of a separate sprint qualifying with reverse grids uh, and teams not fully committed to sprint qualifying. He said points for the sprint race. So you get six points. So from first place to sixth place, you get six points all the way down to one point. Any driver starting 10th to 15th and making it into the points gets a bonus one point as well. (laughs) Any driver starting 16th, the 20th in making it into the points gets three bonus points. And he said, I hope you consider this, this <laughs> suggestion and are able to get it to F1. <laughs> I don't know about that part. Yeah, but. I'm not sure about that one, Todd, but I appreciate you taking the time to send me that email. It went very in depth. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? I actually, you know, it's, it's a great idea. I think the points thing that he makes in the email, I think like, I think that can be a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's where it went a little far. But up until that, like I was on board you because me. Yeah. the, the biggest issue is that sprint shootout, the extra qualifying and not yes. having regular qualifying on Saturday morning where yes. everybody's just used to having qualifying on Saturday morning. We should have it there. And then another qualifying on top of that doesn't make sense. So yes. yeah, the reverse grid ideas, that's something you've brought to the table as well before. And I think it's, it's a fantastic, it's a fun little idea. You know, you get some of the other cars to actually get out in front and have a lead and you can see if they can maintain it and do some fun strategy with that to try and hold the lead so yeah i'm big fan of reverse grid i'd love to see in in f1 and yeah have one qualifying on a saturday morning that's qualifying for the race on sunday that's that's what makes most sense yeah i think like i can't remember what georgia georgia kind of threw a little suggestion in there this weekend as well kind of like He's, he said, like, whatever you do, you can't interrupt, like, just how important uh, qualifying is. Yep. Uh, and, and he's right, because, like, that's when the cars are the fastest. That's when the drivers are, like, really on the absolute limit with these things. Like, that's why we got to see some special stuff this season, including, like, Max Verstappen and Suzuka and Max Verstappen and Monaco. Yep. Like, those are pretty special laps. And so I think, like, you, you've got to prioritize you got to prioritize your Grand Prix and you got to prioritize your qualifying. And I think if you're going to start doing uh, sprints, I like Todd's idea here. I just think there needs to be more on the line when it comes to the sprint races mm-hmm. because there's not enough on the line. Do you remember 2021 and Brazil and just how important it was for Lewis to like make up the ground that he had to make up uh, in the sprint race in Brazil, just so he could like keep the championship like going, right. it was huge, man. That was such an important uh, moment uh, between those two, between Verstappen and Hamilton, uh, in that championship season. Like so important, Jesse. And I think you need that. You still need to have that jeopardy, like on the line when it comes to these things. Because for me, I would like to see that sprint um that sprint race set the grid for mm. set the grid for sunday that's what i okay. want I, I would like to see that but, but i think like 
I think like doing your qualifying uh, normally. Yeah. And then either reversing the grid or you just don't do qualifying at all. You just do two free practice, free practice one, free practice two. And then you go uh, Saturday, you're going to go sprint race. You're going to flip it championship order. So whoever's at the back in the championship starts at the front. Whoever's at the front in the championship starts at the back into your sprint race that sets your, it sets your grid for Sunday. Okay. Don't even and do then qualifying. No, and then no points would be handed out for the sprint and the sprint would just act as qualifying. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind that either. You know, I think that's a, that's a good way around um, just the entertainment factor, you know, because mm-hmm. like Saturday morning, okay, it's it's not the qualifying, but at least it's qualifying in sprint form, which is just as entertaining. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, I wouldn't hate either of those ideas. I think like it's, and I just keep coming back to it, but I just think it's just so important to have uh, Jeopardy on the line, and if you want to do these sprints, like they have to mean something. I mean, right now, I mean, Saturday means absolutely nothing. <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything. It's just a day. Yeah, it really is like I, you know, being at the I mean, being at the U.S. Grand Prix, like for the on the media side, like there's still not that media exposure. Hmm. Like like what story are you telling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Do do you find the the fan reaction too on that Saturday was a little lackluster as well? Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, I think once you. Like once, once that there's some jeopardy in it, once it actually means something, once it has an impact on the weekend, you know, you're able to build that storyline, tell that storyline. So when people get to the track, like they know, right. They, they know that like, oh, you know, shit, I got to get to the track on Saturday because this actually means something mm-hmm. like we got to see it. We got to see what happens or we got to see this sprint because it's actually going to have an impact on these drivers in the weekend. And I think, it's, you know, that's, that's really, really important. But like I've always said, Jesse, you know, I appreciate the fact that F1 is trying something. Really yeah. do. Actually do. <laughs> we can, we can uh, put that out there. You know, it's good that they're trying new things because there's a lot of sports that don't try at all and they get stagnant. So it's good that they're trying. Ah, <laughs> uh, God. Okay. Let's go to, uh, let's go with the debrief. we got some questions coming in. Uh, first one is from at buy it Graham. Uh, it will be interesting next year seeing how Lando and McLaren can do. It was an excellent drive by him today. It was, uh, do you think it's possible that Sergio Perez, uh, gets let go by Red Bull and then signs Lando for 2024 I know he's under contract, but it doesn't seem to matter in F1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's you, pretty unlikely to happen, right, Tim? Yeah, it's very unlikely that that will ever happen. I mean, I, I, you know, he, he makes, you know, there is a good point there where, you know, Lando is under contract. And the thing is, is that what happens to Lando once that contract is up? Like, does he stay at McLaren or does he go somewhere else if he goes somewhere else i mean where would that be right right i think like for him i believe it's like he is a four-year he signed a four-year extension i think it was in 2022 so it's not i believe he's not up until 2026 if i'm not mistaken okay 
Ooh, and and you would is. you would know better than than I would, but I think Zach Brown would go get a rent a Brinks truck and drive it to Landon Norris's house before he would let him ever leave McLaren. I got a wild theory, and it's just <laughs> and it's wild, okay? But you know, hear me out here. So I so it's the end of twenty twenty five. Lando's contract is up. Audi who will be moving into form. And I know there's story lines out there that Audi is not, you know, that they're pulling the plug on their deal with Sauber and that it's not, you know, going to be happening and blah, blah, blah. But um, a high-end Alfa Romeo official this weekend stomped out those rumors. Audi's coming in. It's just the level of participation that they can have at this moment with Sauber is limited because they have the deal with Alfa Romeo. So they can't just start bringing in a different car manufacturer and replacing the current car manufacturer that's slapped all over the car. And so that is why they're saying that their involvement within Sauber is limited. But as the years progress and as we get closer to 2026, we'll start to see more of Audi being sprinkled in um, throughout this team. But I think that's a team that would want to come after a driver like Lando Norris. One, because of the ta- talent, obviously, but he'll be still relatively young, tons of experience, very marketable. I could see Lando going to a team like an Audi in 2026. And that's where I take a look at Patricio Ward, mm-hmm. who Zach Brown told us on this podcast that they have already applied for Patricio to get his super license. So Patricio Award races for Aero McLaren in IndyCar. And I think by the time we kind of get to 2026, who's to say that Sergio Perez is still in Formula One? It's a long way to go. I mean, Sergio's been in F1 forever. And, you know, it might be time that he calls it quits. And what's the stop? McLaren from bringing in a driver like a Patricio Award to the team. And that that's where I think like Zach is so smart when it comes to his drivers, man. You know, like he's just so good at looking into the future where he's got Oscar Piastri locked up till 2026. I mean, he's not letting him go anywhere. That guy's incredible. Right. Right. So what, you know, if Lando's going to leave McLaren, I think that's where he would end up going, not to Red Bull. Why would you want to go and be Max Verstappen's teammate? Yeah, <laughs> that's a, we've seen in F one that that's one of the toughest toughest gigs in the sport is being second to Max at Red Bull. That's the worst idea ever because you're not getting a car that's like meant for you, man. Like it's you're literally going to be having to figure out how to change like your driving style to suit something. You better hope that your driving style suits what Max does because it's just so specific. It's so unique. It's incredibly fast. But if you're Lando Norris, why would you want to leave somewhere where they're like going to tailor the car for you? Mm-hmm. You never yeah, leave you, that. You go to a team at, like, like Audi where the entire brand can be built around you because yeah. you're the new star driver at this 100%, new team. 100%, man. Um, we got another question here from F1 Ryan underscore SK. Can you provide an explanation for the first lap penalty against Daniel Ricardo and Oscar Piastri? A comment. <laughs> F1 should have one sprint a year 
and it should be at Brazil. A great <laughs> track for it. Only once a year makes it special, so drivers look forward to it, and fans actually want to watch it. Hmm. Now, the Ricardo and Piastri, I actually didn't receive anything from the FIA in regards to those two uh, for this particular race. They weren't put under investigation, from my knowledge. Jesse, did you see that? I think they're referring to when the race was restarted, those two had to start from the pit lane because of all the damage they had. I think that's what they mean by penalty, right? Okay, yeah, because they didn't get anything during the race. I didn't even receive anything from the FIA, and the FIA didn't tell me about it. So um, the FIA actually sent me a message in regards uh, to that. So essentially... What ends up happening is you you got to fix the cars, right? Like these cars that, that were involved in in the crash and obviously for both Oscar and for Daniel Ricardo brought the cars in to uh, get them fixed up. Rear wings for um, Danny Rick, obviously, and then I believe uh, similar for Oscar. He still had extra damage, uh, McLaren had said, to the car following... Uh, like during the race, like he was still battling a car that had taken uh, damage. They just couldn't fix, but they could make the car safe for it to go out and race. But the message that I had received from the FIA was the fact that since the cars were being worked on in the garage during the red flag period, uh, they have to be, uh, they're permitted to, to leave the pits. So they're permitted to leave the garage. They're permitted to uh, follow the cars back out on a formation lap but they're not allowed to take the grid. They have to start. Um, they have to. They had to return to pit lane, and they had to take the restart from that pit lane because, essentially, the cars would have been retired anyways. So technically, they're kind of out of the race, right? <laughs> so essentially, that's what that kind of boiled down to, and why that is. And that's not anything new. Um, that's been done before. It's funny. I received a text like from someone complaining that, you know, why, uh, actually I received a couple of texts, <laughs> people complaining about why, why they're allowed, like why they're the teams are allowed to work on cars that are damaged. Like there was a couple of texts that I got because of that, but like, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. Like my, my only thing is Jesse is like changing the tires. That's my thing. It's like it, during these red flags, why change? Why are they allowed to do that? And like, I I understand the damage. I like okay. that they can fix the damage. You don't think you think they shouldn't be allowed to change tires? No, because I think that would fall under working on the car. I think like everything yeah. working on the car is the same, from changing the tires to putting on a new front wing to repairing the rear wing. I think that's all kind of the same. So as long as you you're in the pit, you can do whatever you want. Is kind of how I look at it. But like it's interesting if you if you say hey you can't change tires under a red flag because then you're throwing a whole other wrinkle into it. <laughs> like I like how even you're like poking holes in the rules because you're like technically that is working on the car. I'm like <laughs> you sir should be in Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I think like FIA. You know, <laughs> I just don't I just don't like the fact that it's kind of like a free pit stop. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like that because. But I th- 
I don't know. I see it as you're in the garage. That's where you do your your work on the car. You can do whatever you want. But usually they're supposed to be working on. So if you're going to work, you can work on the car in pit lane. So when they do the red flag, you have to kind of come in uh, in your respected positions and line up in pit lane. And you can do, you know, you can change the tires there. You can work on the cars there. If you got a little bit of damage uh, for Ricardo and Piastri, obviously they had to be hauled into the garages because essentially thought their days were done. But seeing as how the red red flag came out and it was going to take so long, they were able to work on the car. But since they had already put them into the garage, they were already pretty much like, yeah, you're out of the race. So starting from pit lane when we do this restart. But to work on the cars in pit lane during a red flag, I'm cool with. It's the changing of the tires that I just, I am not, good with that because it's kind of like a free pit stop where it's like well you didn't really earn it right so it's like you're the ones who decided to pit like under a safety car vsc before they threw a red flag whatever it is like you already did your thing like you can't come in and like swap the tires around you just can't do it (laughs) that's my problem i got a huge problem with that one but that's for another show and another day jesse (laughs) all right We'll, we'll debate it in the future I think it's all it's all fair. <laughs> You're in the pit. Change your tires. <laughs> man, thanks very much for doing this, Jesse. I really no appreciate it, man. Um, let everybody know what you got going on and where they can find your stuff. We just did a Jesse versus, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll shout that out. Go to go to youtube.com slash SDPN. That's our that's our YouTube channel there. And I do a little series called Jesse Versus. During the summer, I played golf with a bunch of like sports media personalities uh, in the Toronto area. And then I've been expanding to other sports. And I did one where I played a floorball accuracy shot challenge with Steve Dangle. And then Tim was kind enough to join me and play video games. Uh, for the first time in his life, he played an F1 video game. Yeah. And we uh, we did that. So search up. Uh, I'll link it in this in the description. Uh, Tim and I playing the F one video game. And Tim, you did a fantastic job for someone who's never played an F one game before. I think I was seventeen seconds off of Max Verstappen. I don't know if I did a good job. That's pretty good. Piastri and, and Ricardo were more than a lap away. So you did better than them. <laughs> Yay! I did better than the AI. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a fun game but like i mean uh, like we discussed on it like you need to we need to do the steering wheel in the the pedals so maybe when i come back from vegas we'll we'll set that up um yeah thanks again jesse for doing the show really appreciate it uh also for those listening go over and watch uh sdp those guys have a great show (laughs) it's awesome man you guys got me hooked i'm like watching you guys now every monday wednesday friday Oh yeah, you're, are you? So I don't know. Are you a big Leafs fan? Like, is that where your hockey fandom no, lies? No, I don't Do you, like hockey at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we got you hooked, so we'll get you into being a Leafs fan. I like, uh, you know, I'm a huge basketball fan. Always have been ever since I was a kid, and I follow basketball and football like very closely, uh, especially yeah. the NFL. Like, I follow very closely. Um, and right now, Jesse's actually uh, beating. Who are you playing in fantasy right now? Because you're absolutely crushing them. Uh, I'm, pl- I'm playing Grav. He's a NHL YouTuber. If you're not familiar with Grav, but okay. yeah, I think he's given up a little on the season. I gotta text him to be like, "Hey, you gotta set your lineup fully each week." <laughs> yeah, because I was <laughs> he's like, he's in last place, and I think he's just he's given up. <laughs> I know. I was looking at who's on his bench. 
And I'm like, who is it? Like, why is Jesse absolutely steamrolling this team right now? And I'm like looking through. I'm like, why isn't that guy starting? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it. You need to commit, even though you're at last. You need to keep playing fantasy football. That's that's a rule. Yeah, hundred um, <laughs> percent. I yeah, no, I big fan of of uh, of SDP, and you guys actually got me paying attention to like NHL. Where last night, like, I don't watch Toronto Maple Leaf games. I actually turned it on just so I could like simulcast Steve's um uh Steve's live game like play by play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, watch party. There you go. So like Steve Dangle, the uh the the host, one of the hosts of SDP, um he has these like watch alongs for those racing fans that are listening. You probably have tuned out by now, but if you haven't <laughs> He did this watch along last night where he was watching the Maple Leafs game, commenting on it. And so, like, I decided to, like, you know, watch both and see how guy. I thought it was really good. Like, it was, it was oh, yeah. Pretty, was he does such a fantastic job yeah. with that stuff. You know, like, I couldn't sit there and talk for three hours just straight to a, a camera. It's insane <laughs> the way he's able to do it. And it's entertaining throughout the entire thing. You know, so anyways, I appreciate the kind words, Tim. Like, thank yeah. you. I, I'm glad that we're turning you into a, a mini hockey fan. Yeah, you are. I, <laughs> I, yeah, you definitely are. Like, I've got like a Sidney Crosby jersey and everything. Like, I was I was a Pittsburgh Penguins fan when I was younger. Um, Mario Lemieux fan. But like, I think for for me, I started getting out of hockey probably 10 years ago. And I haven't really followed it as closely. I find like with with hockey is kind of like I. I I liked the rough and tumble nature of like the nineties. Like I I I just like that. I mean I, I know like there's probably some hits out there and stuff that are a little but like I I this form of hockey is really fast. Um yeah. I guess it doesn't have well it's still physical, but not as physical, I guess. It was a different sport in the nineties, like a hundred percent. There's there's a couple different eras of hockey. Like there's a there's a really the old old one from like the sixties, and then there's an era from like the eighties where there's kind of no rules and all the games were eight seven. Then the nineties had a distinct like rough hockey where mm -hmm. there was low scoring, but everybody got punched in the face all the time. There were giant hits where guys got blindsided, and that was a distinct version of hockey. And a lot of people fell in love with the game uh, then. And so it's interesting to hear that that's kind of the hockey that you grew up on yeah. as a Canadian kid. But yeah, yeah you can only pay like attention it. to so many things. And yeah. you spend that those years as a pro race race car driver, you know, how invested can you be in other sports? Yeah, I think like once the 2000s rolled around, it's kind of, I would say around 2003-ish. That's kind of like when I really stopped following mm -hmm. all sports except for like basketball and NFL because they're just so, like my racing was racing career at that point was taken off and it was just so I was so invested in it and it took up so much time that you just yeah. kind of lose track of all the other things. Right. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like that for me, but I mean, I, I, I like that. I'm start. you guys have kind of got me back into it where now I'm like following some of these storylines <laughs> and uh, like, you know, Adam's got this huge obsession with Michael Ann Lauer and oh. the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what is this all about? And I'm like, it's got me like digging a little bit more, reading a little bit more. And I think one of the things that I've noticed when it comes to like in the States, being in the States with like NHL, because like this Airbnb I was staying at in Texas during the Austin Grand Prix, like the ESPN actually did a really nice job of um, blowing up the stars. Like, you know, oh, like yeah. they made it more like like Austin Matthews 
you know, versus Connor McDavid or whatever the game, they weren't playing each other at the time, but right, right. whatever the matchup was, they did a nice job of actually like bringing the stars out. And I yes. think like, I think like when you look at like the NBA, that's something that ESPN has done with the NBA where it was like pumping up the stars, you know? Yeah. For 20 years, the NHL wasn't on ESPN. And when ESPN doesn't have the rights to something, they ignore it. So in the last two years, the NHL is finally back on the biggest sports network in America. And it's going to be great for the game because they market it in creative ways like that. It's, it's very good to see. And yeah. it's cool to hear that, that you saw that as somebody who's like yeah. casual, you know, and you're down there briefly and you already saw that evidenced on ESPN. That's cool. Yeah. It was good. It got me interested. Like they got me hooked for some of the games where I was like, I came home from long day at the track and I'm kind of just like, ah, you know, not much on TV. I'm like, I'll see what ESPN's got on. I'm like, oh, they got hockey. I'm like, they really want to watch like Colorado Avalanche and like whatever Dallas Stars. And it's like, no, Nathan McKinnon, this and all that. I'm like, all right. (laughs) i'll watch i'll watch all right so yeah that's how you get into things exactly personalities right 100 percent. it's what's like it's this conversation is funny because it's kind of the the reverse conversation that you and i had like what like two and a half years ago now when i was watching drive to survive and following in love with all of these personalities (laughs) and getting into f1 and then now it's like you're you're seeing all these hockey personalities and you're starting to watch hockey again yeah it's really cool (laughs) 100%. 100%. Uh, Jesse, thanks very much for taking the time, man. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, those wanting more, Nailing the Apex, you can get Nailing the Apex wherever you get your podcasts. Please head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, write a review, uh, let us know how we're doing. You can also watch past episodes over on YouTube as well. We'll be back later this week and also head back to Thursday's episode or I believe it was probably Friday's episode that we dropped with Daniel Ricardo. Uh, it was a great episode, great conversation and I think you'll really like it a lot. And until later this week, we'll talk to you all later. <laughs>